Good morning and welcome. Page 847 in your Pew Bible, and fortunately I don't know the page number in your Bible app, but uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 46 to 52. As we begin our, uh, our celebration of Holy Week and the Passion of our Lord, it's appropriate to look at Mark chapter 10, verses 46 to 52, and an account of a healing, a healing that uh, is reflective in many ways of some things that uh, are upcoming in the life of Jesus and in his passion and are relevant for us today. So if you'd read with me from either your pew Bible or hopefully on the screen, large enough font that we can all read, Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52, I find I have to create larger and larger fonts as I read. We read, And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. Take heart, get up. He is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. The context of this account falls within Mark chapter 10, at the very end of Mark chapter 10, right after the account of James and John selfishly asking Jesus if they could sit at his right hand when he came into his kingdom, and the beginning of Mark chapter 11, which is what we celebrated yesterday, the arrival into Jerusalem of Jesus on Palm Sunday. Other accounts in the Gospels also time this along, especially in Luke, with the familiar story of Zacchaeus sitting in a tree waiting for Jesus and Jesus going to his home. It's a unique story, a unique account, that this miracle is shared in all three of the synoptic Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but in their writings, they're all different. In some ways, in some of the accounts, there's multiple blind men healed. Mark's the only one to include a name and the only one who mentions just this one man being healed. There have been a lot of people that have pointed to those discrepancies and said, well, look at those errors, look at those problems, but doesn't it in fact just show us how the gospel writers, not robotic in their writing at all, but being used in their personalities and in their individual emphases to bring out that good news of Christ so that as many as possible could hear and believe. The differences don't make the accounts false, but like most accounts of eyewitnesses, give us different perspectives. There's a few important and relevant areas in Mark's account of this healing that we can focus on for ourselves today. Just to remind you, John Mark, the evangelist, is the author of this gospel who traveled on missionary journeys, especially into the regions where uh, Gentiles were. And so 
that proclamation of the gospel to the Gentile nations is shown pretty clearly here as well in his writing. In our opening section, in that beginning section, Mark felt compelled to be able to share with his readers what Bar Timaeus meant, clearly sharing that that meant that he was the son of Timaeus. This Aramaic word for son is equivalent in some ways to that Hebrew word ben. And last night on Turner Classic Movies, there was Charlton Heston in all his glory, riding on great steeds or behind them in the circus in Ben-Hur. But it seems that the sharing of specific names, especially those of not significant people, of some of the secondary people, might have some differing ideas for us. I've always been curious, why were some people named and other people not named? What's going on when we hear that in Scripture? Sure, the main characters need that name. When we hear of Jesus or Moses or Abraham and the story is about them, we need to connect to them in a personal level. Sometimes it's a historical setting. Somebody like Pontius Pilate or Quirinius or people that we know were at a certain time and place help set the scriptures for us as accurate, as factual, as relevant in the world that we live in. We also know that sometimes those names have been given and sometimes maybe there's a sense of irony or maybe their name carries a little different meaning. Later this week, we're going to hear in the account of the passion of Barabbas. And what's interesting is the same root as what we just heard of Bartimaeus, Bar-Abbas or Bar-Abba, literally son of the father. And what's going to happen? The son of that father is going to be released while the son of the father is going to be crucified. We've had other accounts, though, where no names were given. Last week, we studied the Syrophoenician woman, and her name was never mentioned to us. It wasn't that she was important. She was very important to that account, but it either wasn't known by the author or it didn't serve a further purpose into what the message was about. The centurion at the foot of the cross is going to say, truly this man was the Son of God, is not named in the Scriptures, What's interesting is people have determined that his name may have been Longinus. They may have found his name in a post or outside scriptural source. So here is Bartimaeus. Timaeus means one who is highly prized. And so the son of the one who is highly prized is blind. He's lost his eyesight. Whether he had it once or not, we don't really know talks about regaining, recovering his eyesight, but we know that at the moment, this son of this father is having a tough time. That explanation of Bartimaeus that Mark gives, the son of Timaeus, doesn't sound like the name carries any significant meaning until we hear Bartimaeus' own words as he calls out to another son, as he calls out to the son of Joseph, Bar-Joseph. But he doesn't call him that. He calls him the son of David. What's going on in those words? What does it mean when Bartimaeus uses that phrase? And how do we understand? Pastor Hensley last week did a great job of explaining how Jesus referred to himself. This is the only time, though, where somebody else in the book of Mark refers to Jesus as the son of David. Son of David seems like a funny thing for someone to say to Jesus until we look at the fullness of the scriptures, until we look at that entirety of what is meant by that. 
So if we jump back into the Old Testament, we can see that this phrase carries a lot more meaning behind it than maybe it first appears. God made a covenant with King David. That covenant was built upon the faith that David had been given. And David desired and wanted to build a temple, but God told him, no, that's not your job. That's going to be your son Solomon's job. And so in 1 Chronicles 17, we can see the covenant that God made to his son David and to David's future line. I will raise up offspring for you, one of your own sons, God says, and I will establish his kingdom. He'll build a house for me and I'll establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. I will not take any steadfast love for him and I will took, and as I took it from him who was before you, Saul, but I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever and his throne shall be established forever. Those words of God to David were a gift to David as David was going through tough times in his life, mostly by his own hand, by his own choice, but a picture of something that is to come, someone who is to come into the future. But you know what happens? Not long after that promise, things started to fall apart. The kingdom of David's divided. Most of them are sent off into exile. Did God really forget his promise? Did God say, ah, I didn't mean it, sorry? No, absolutely not. The prophet reminds, and many of the prophets remind the people that Israel is much bigger than they could imagine this promise is, and that God is fulfilling that promise in their eyes. Would the men read with me Ezekiel 34, verses 22 to 24? We read, I will rescue my flock, and they shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Ladies, read with me Isaiah 35, verses 5 to 6. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. And the ears of the deaf unstopped. And shall the lame man leap like a deer. And the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And so what's happening? In our process we look, God is coming back and reminding them of someone who is to come. Someone who's going to be present. Somebody who's going to be their shepherd, feed them, care for them. And yet when is he saying this? saying this way after David's time. He's saying this way after David has already died, and yet there's one to come. And yet the people have to wait again. For centuries they wait. They wait for David's son to come back. The wait continues right up until the time the angels appear to Joseph and to Mary and share with them the good news of God's grace for all people found in a baby, found in their baby that Mary's going to have. And if you look at those verses in Matthew chapter 1, where the angel comes and says, Joseph, son of David, reminding Joseph of his lineage, don't fear to take Mary as your wife. That which is conceived in her, it's not yours. It's from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you'll call his name Jesus, one who saves, for he's going to save his people from their sins. 
And the angel came to Mary in Luke chapter 1 and said, You don't be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Paralleling back, putting back into perspective this. So here's Bartimaeus, and Bartimaeus is blind. And yet what happens? Bartimaeus, some 33 years later, is standing in front of the son of David. And Bartimaeus knows. Bartimaeus knows something is going on. He understands that this person is one that is different. One of the sons is going to sit there and try to gather alms. The other son's going to go in front of people who yell Hosanna to him. But are also going to take him to a cross. One of them seems destined to be just begging on the street the rest of his life, bringing shame to himself, to his family. And another one is going to have the ultimate shame put upon him, the death on a cross, but for the glory of all, for the glory of all people. Even in his blindness, Bartimaeus sees who this is. Calling out for the son of David, he shouts that he is looking for healing. He's wanting to be made well. Even when others tell him to stop, he pleads louder and louder and louder. For what? For mercy. For compassion. We don't really know who was rebuking him, but based on other stories, it's a pretty good chance the disciples had a hand in that. They did it last week when we studied the Syrophoenician woman. Why wouldn't they have been here? Be quiet. Be quiet already. And yet Bartimaeus won't stop. He keeps yelling. He keeps asking. He keeps requesting. Bartimaeus doesn't stop, and Jesus hears his plea and responds, Take heart, get up, he's calling you, the followers tell him. And do you notice what Bartimaeus' reaction was? He throws off his cloak. Picture him sitting on the ground with his cloak, collecting alms, collecting his daily money that he needs to survive, keeping him warm at night. And his response is to throw it off. Can you picture the money just going up in the air, flying all over the place? Can you picture the cloak being thrown to the side? And he sprang up, it says. He jumped up. He literally jumped for joy. And he's sitting there, and now he is in front of the son of David. He's responded to the gracious calling that God has given him. Jesus heals. He restores Bartimaeus. Your faith has made you well, has made you whole, Jesus says. Familiar words, but I'm guessing often misunderstood as well. Did Bartimaeus do something that earned that right? Did he have something in himself that said, this is what's going to happen now? What in Bartimaeus was caused for him to be healed? And the answer we know is nothing. It was a gift. It was God's gracious gift. Faith clings to that which God provides. Forgiveness, healing of the body, of the soul, salvation. Our own Augsburg Confession, the apology of the Augsburg Confession, the defense says, faith is that which grasps God's free mercy on account of God's word. Bartimaeus had a great blessing. He didn't have to go dig in the Bible to hear God's word. He heard it with his own ears. He heard it from the one who was standing, who is the word of God in front of him. So where do we see ourselves in Bartimaeus' situation? Well, we know we're blind. By nature, we're blind to sin. We're blind to its effects. Through repentance and God's law, 
we know that we are in need of healing and sight as well. And what can we do? We cry out. Have mercy. Have mercy, son of David. And he's promised to hear. And he promises to forgive. And this whole week that we're going to celebrate shows us that, leading up to a death and leading up to a resurrection. You know, Bartimaeus was told by Jesus, go on your way when you're done. Get on your way. But he didn't. And he couldn't. Instead, he follows him. He follows him on the road. And you can picture him following him right onto the road into Jerusalem and right onto the road to a cross. I'm sure Bartimaeus was wondering what on earth is going on. But here's my guess is why Bartimaeus' name is remembered for us. It's a connection to a son, but way more likely, Bartimaeus was probably known by the first readers of the gospel. He's a disciple. He's a follower. And the people probably knew who Bartimaeus was and what he was about and how he got to this place was a benefit to hear. You know, through faith, all of us have become children of God. We're bros of the bar. And we are sons of that king. We're Christians of those who are in the Messiah. And Christians, by their nature, are followers of he who is to come, he who was to come, he who has always been the son of David. And Paul said it this way very well. Before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came nor that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. May we all be like Bartimaeus, healed, given sight to follow Jesus down that road to a cross, to an empty tomb, into heaven, keeping our eyes on him. We pray. We'll pray these words from... From the hymnal Lutheran service uh, book 559. We pray. Firmly to our soul's salvation, witnesses your spirit, Lord, in your sacraments and word. There he sends true consolation, giving us the gifts of faith that we fear not hell nor death. Lord, your mercy will not leave me, ever will your truth abide. Then in you I will confide. Since your word cannot deceive me, My salvation is to me safe and sure eternally. Amen.